Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Collective. We have another awesome show for you today. And first off, Trav, always good to see you. CJ, new face. How you yeah, doing, man. brother? Good. Good to be here. Awesome. Nice we, to meet uh, you guys, man. Well, we're excited to chat. I have a very good topic that we're going to get into. Before I do that, I just want to remind everybody to like the show, subscribe, and hit the notification bell, get your little email every day so that you know that we go live every day. Um mm. Now, I do want to give a little heads up. None of us are doctors. So anything that we do say is our own experience. I'm pretty sure. CJ, you're not a doctor, right? No. <laughs> okay. So um, the uh, anything we do say is our own personal experience. So do take it with a grain of salt. Do your own research. And uh, mm -hmm. if you have any questions or comments or anything like that, by all means, put them up in the uh, comment section here. We do read them all. And I get to put them up here like this. Winterstorm, good morning. Good to see you, brother. Mm -hmm. Um. So, yeah, if uh, that's everything we got there, any thoughts or topics right off the top here? Actually, CJ, why don't you give us a quick 30, 40 second who you are, where you come from, all that good stuff, and then we'll dive into the rest of the combo. Uh, yeah, 57 years old. I uh, know I don't look it. I get that a lot. Um, mm -hmm. I live in North Carolina now, born in New York. Spent most of my years growing up in Texas, relocated to North Carolina in 97. My background is in... Uh, professionally is in marketing and design and branding and communications and all that kind of stuff, which aided me in the early days of internet and social media to do what I'm doing now. And But parallel to that, always an interest in uh, speaking and counseling and coaching and motivational self-improvement type content. And everything's kind of combined together, mixed in with my love of heavy metal to create the figure that I've had on line now for 14 years called the metal motivator mm. which is tony robbins meets metallica for a shorthand <laughs> which is, I, I, it's a good way to go i I, I, I think tony robbins could use a little bit more metallica if i'm being honest <laughs> good good thing I don't blame you, man. Um, <laughs> so yeah we're gonna get into the topic and the reason i i brought up this topic in general for us to talk about is <clears throat> you know there's a there's a conceptual side to hunting and when uh, Travis, you said you want to come on today, I was like, yes, this is going to be the perfect topic for you. But it also goes into not only the physical side of the hunt, but I think there's also the the metaphysical, the <clears throat> psychological, the, the whole concept of what the hunt is, right? And Sean, you've spent many a days hunting. You've spent many a days hunting different things as well. <laughs> you've spent a lot of time in the bush, but CJ as well. You've been hunting for answers. You've been hunting for motivation. Been hunting for all kinds of things, right? So, I want to get into that. So, I'm going to go one by one. Give me a kind of a general concept of what you consider the hunt to be, and then we'll allow that conversation to go from there. Trav, what do you think? I'm going to put you on the fire first. Sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty. Uh... That could be a nebulous question, but mm -hmm. you know, th there is the yin yang black white dichotomy to the world. There's always going to be highs. There's going to be lows. There's going to be good. There's going to be bad. There's going to be predator. There's going to be prey. And I think if you look at hunting, the act of hunting, you're stalking an animal, whether that be four legged or two legged in some cases here, uh, there is that, that chase in the, the opposition. And if you're looking at it from the more uh, philosophical side there is that connection to your natural environment where you are essentially pitting yourself or connecting yourself with your natural environment. So there's a lot of ways we can kind of look at this topic, but I think perhaps for this conversation, just looking at that uh, uh, 
predator prey sort of a mentality, whether that be seeking out something that you don't currently have, seeking out knowledge, hunting for that, or uh, engaging in the physical act of hunting might be an interesting way to take this conversation. I like it. What do you think, CJ? Any thoughts? Yeah, well, I know a lot of hunters, and I'm I'm curse have a cursory familiarity with it. I mean, I know who Fred Bear is, of course. I know who Ted Nugent is. I've got a lot of friends who are um, um, who hunt archery, um, bow and arrow. So, and I'm, I know who Cam Haynes and all that sort of stuff. So, there's something about it that's of, of interest to the masculine soul. You know, Metallic on their Black album sang a song called "Of Wolf and Man," and there's a line that says, "I hunt, therefore I am." <laughs> And so there's a there's an aspect to that that I think, especially what Travis just noted um, about that that primal connection that you have. And I think there's something to be said about the masculine soul that it's not to limit these things, obviously, to males per se, but to say, but there's something that so appeals to the masculine soul about the pursuit of things about. And we want to do that. You know, remember the line from Jurassic Park when they were, you know, feeding the the raptors and the t-rexes and all this sort of stuff and he says t-rex doesn't want to be fed he wants to hunt <laughs> mm-hmm. you know there's something too that we don't want things to come easy we like it that it's something we have to search and find mm-hmm. so to me it makes perfect sense and in fact i recently had watched um a documentary about uh cam haynes and him and a bunch of guys were going out and they were celebrating his buddy what was his name roy um oh. You know what I'm talking about? The guy. I know who you're just, talking about, Ken. Yeah, Ken. They buddy, yeah. buddy, and and he he had passed away, and Cam just seemed like he had a death wish. <laughs> that guy wanted to almost almost like he wanted he was ready to die at the at the at the claws of a bear. Mm-hmm. So he's reached a level, I think, just psychologically that um, you know he's talking about and living something that I think is beyond what the average person understands it to be. And um, I think it's a fascinating subject. And like you said, man, it's it's something that appeals to everyone at all different levels for all different things. So uh, I'm excited to hear what you guys have to say. Mm-hmm. Sean, what are your thoughts right off the bat? I said something just the other day. So let me just read it from my Instagram post. I put this up and it was in, there's a photo, of, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a photo of me up in a perfectly good airplane watching my youngest son just about to deploy out of said perfectly good airplane with my good friend Tim Turner about to deploy him out of said perfectly good airplane. And it was quite a moment, this photo. I kind of built it out. And and I just want to uh, read a little piece here. Um, And it was in reference to uh, my buddy Tim, who was jump master or being the jump master for my son. Uh, We came up in the system together. We were what was called loosely at the time 031 death techs or death technicians. Our specialty was efficiently, effectively and ruthlessly dominating the battle space. And we were taught that as young men and I've uh, as young men and I have never changed my way since then. I hunt. I pursue. And I've always been happiest hunting something, anything, the thing that moves on the horizon, the thing that moves in front of me, the thing that flies over top of me, I'm hunting it. That that doesn't mean that I'm actively trying to destroy it. It just means that me, my mind, my eye, how I think, how I move, it, it's, it's predatory, but not predatory in the sense of mean-spirited per se, but in the sense of if, if I lock my eye on something, I begin pursuing it. I begin hunting it. And it's what's always made me happiest. 
as a young boy in uh, when I was growing up in high school, I just go grab my 22 caliber, head out into the forest and disappear for the day. Tracking rabbits, goonie birds, squirrels, it didn't much matter. I hunted everything. I just loved the physical act of hunting, but I loved the mental act of the pursuit of the tracking of the finding. In fact, uh, killing a rabbit as an example, I'm not going to say it was a, a letdown, but I enjoyed the pursuit of chasing something and I, I didn't even know where it would take me. I just loved the adventure of the pursuit. So I'm just going to read this little piece now that I pulled up here. Um, this is in reference to when uh, my friend Tim and I moved from kind of 031 death techs, and then I moved into special operations. Uh, and I state, um, later in my career, I moved into special operations, which actualized me into a more powerful, competent, and precise 031, capable of independent action as a force multiplier, amongst other things. Since then, I've applied that same mindset in my other careers at varying degrees of intensity. I learned a few things along the way. Here we go. One thing that has always been clear to me, I'm happiest when I'm on the hunt, in pursuit, effectively, efficiently, and aggressively causing change in the world at whatever scale. At the start of this year, I put my crosshairs on podcasting and social media, yada, yada, yada. And so uh, the point is, I've, that's who I've always been. That's what I enjoy. But at points in my life, I haven't... I've, I've kind of ignored it. I've tried to kind of look away from it. And that's what I did with podcasting. I was so freaking uncomfortable doing it that I didn't want to get comfortable with what I am comfortable with. And that is the hard charging pursuit, the hunt of what is directly in front of me. So I think that there's a phase within the metaphorical hunting aspect of our lives where I was going to say, even a guy like me, a guy like me who has all his life aggressively pursued what's in front of me there's times in our lives when we don't want to face that where we're so uncomfortable with what we're stepping into that we don't want to own our spirit of hunt of pursuit so it's taken me near a year to get right with where i'm at and it's taken me the last few months to understand that my recon phase is over i understand the battle space now i'm able to shape social media to a minor degree in a sense that makes me happy with my hunt that now I can step into it and start really pursuing. So I, I, I raise all of that to state that it doesn't matter if you're the best hunter in the world or the worst hunter in the world, whatever that means to you. What does matter is that you've got to understand what you're trying to accomplish and that it will always ebb and flow all through your life. It is not a linear trajectory of if you're a hunter, you're always maximum hunter boy. Uh, sometimes your minimum hunter boy, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. You guys got any thoughts on that before I jump in? Yeah. I, uh, just listening to the maximum minimum, like I, I could talk all day about the physical act of hunting. Um, but for anybody to hunt, to embark or to endeavor, they are going to accept into their life, the possibility of failure. They're also going to accept into their life, the possibility of success. But I think a lot of people are afraid of that failure to the point where they won't even embark on an endeavor. They won't even get into the hunt. Um, as a kid, my father was VPD and he was in charge of their first ERT. And he used to take me downtown. He'd play a game called uh, Hawks and Pigeons. And it was my job to identify the hawks and the pigeons. The hawks would be the predators on the street and the pigeons would be the prey. And I'd have to articulate why this person is a hawk, 
their body language, what they're doing, how they're scanning their environment, their situational awareness, and why somebody else was a pigeon. And the, uh, I guess the lesson out of that was twofold. Number one, help increase situational awareness, be aware of what's around you and your surroundings. But what do you want to be when you grow up? Do you want to be the one who's situationally unaware, who's not taking those chances, who's the pigeon going through life, like a lot of people are, um, the awareness level of a victim, so to say, uh, or do you want to be the one who's got their head on a swivel, not a predatory hawk, so to speak, but somebody who can be able to identify that in life. Uh, and I, and I guess the, uh, the last little point that kind of came to mind, and I think I've said this one before, but you know, as a child, most people are afraid of what they don't know. And the fear of the dark is a common fear in children. And I was afraid of the dark and what might go bump and what might be out there. And um, so one night, my father says, tell you what, let's talk about cam and concealment, go over the basic principles, I'll go hide in the yard, you try and find me, right? And then it was my turn to go out and hide in the yard. And he says, now you are the thing that goes bump in the night as opposed to being the thing that's always afraid of what's out there. So to be a hunter, whether for knowledge or for animals or whatever it might be, you have to first embark and accept the fact that failure is a possibility on the horizon and be okay with that. And once you start to be okay with that, you start realizing that these little steps that you're taking, these little uh, endeavors that you're making can get bigger and bigger. And I think that's... um, uh, perhaps something that might be those challenges that you face. We're living in an environment that is trying to mitigate challenges in people's lives. And I think people should be actively pursuing these, these difficulties and challenges. Mm, I like that. CJ, you got any thoughts? Yeah, that's really good. Um, you know, I think at root, what is speaking to me through all of this is again, and I, I, I hate to make this based on just this category. You used to be able to say this years ago and it wouldn't cause a problem, (laughs) but this, there's such an appeal here at root to the masculine soul. Um, and the reason being is because, um, we tend to communicate through our, our ideals, right? So I remember doing a, a relationship seminar many years ago, And I was talking about the difference, basic difference between men and women in terms of their thinking, in terms of what they idealize. So you hear, for example, um, you know, women will refer to a certain guy as he's a real Romeo, right? Mm -hmm. Tall, dark and handsome, bad boy, friend zone. (laughs) They have these ideal, idealistic attributes attributed to males. Now, so you will hear a woman say he's a real Romeo, but you'll never hear a man say she's a real Juliet. Mm. We just don't speak in those terms, right? So men tend to I'd use those ideals or metaphors for work, <laughs> for life pursuit. So we'll say, you know, it's the fourth quarter. Life is a battle. You know, life is a hunt. Thing is a hunt. So we we use these ideals to communicate the fact that we are wired to do these things. And I will often use the definition of success as as to maximize all that you are and all that you can do for a purpose greater than yourself. But I do feel like you have a sacred duty or a sacred obligation to maximize all that you are and all that you can do. 
I mean, as much as you conceivably can. And most of us don't really put out that kind of effort. You know, I'm go going back to what Sean was talking about. There's a desire in him to maximize his life, regardless of whatever the new frontier or the new vista brings. He's up for the challenge because he knows there's more inside of him. And so you have the sacred duty to do that. It amazes me that people will honestly just sit there with capacity, with potential, and literally do nothing. Grave yards, as we know, are full of potential. And it just amazes me, again, that people will literally hold themselves back. And so we have to fight for these things because we live in a world when I can reach out, flip the switch and lights come on. I've got food in a refrigerator. We're using this technology. The ease of life is encroaching on us in abundance. We are drowning in ease, comfort, and luxury. There's no need for us to do anything more. There's no need for us to be challenged. There's no need for us to be primal. And you're not breaking any law by doing that. You're not breaking any law by making a contract with mediocrity. You are breaking no laws. Nobody's going to arrest you. A jury is not going to sentence you. You can go through life, be perfectly fine, perfectly lauded, and celebrated and respected by others. But you will always live in contradiction to yourself. You will always try to escape that voice that's speaking inside of you to do something more. And I just very inspiring what you guys are talking about here, especially the fact that Sean was talking about his kid and Travis was talking about when he was young with his dad, just that you had these mentors or tormentors at times to speak into your life and set that fire. You know, I have a Zoom call that I do in, in me and Pat Max coaching squad twice a month, and it's called Strike and Ignite. You know, we've heard the iron sharpens iron. I'm kind of tired of that metaphor. So I want it to be strike and ignite, man, that, that we're all lanterns. You say something, it's like throwing a match in somebody's lantern and it fires them up. It sets them ablaze. And we go on that. There's this mutual motivation factor that happens when you get this kind of gathering eagles together. And it's great to see. It's great to hear from it because, again, I'm not a part of your world, I'm not even a part of Pat Mack's world necessarily, but I see this commonality and I see this desire and I see this longing to restore tradition. You know, you know the battles we have in our country. And for us, you know, I've, I've often said uh, on me and Pat Max podcast that, man, it's going to be very hard to sustain a country if we lack the character of the people who gave us this country. That's very difficult for us to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I tell my coaching squad all the time, I say, listen, we have one mission here, one mission. And that is to reinforce the foundations of liberty, reinforce the foundations of what it means, the traditions and the lifestyle and the culture and the way of thinking, the philosophy that brought us here, the worldview that brought us here. We have to strengthen it because there are people who wake up every day determined to undo it. Yeah. <clears throat> I have a, uh, a thought on that, too, is that really it's the efficiencies that are brought about through, uh, through the struggle. Right. So I was thinking about this one day. Um, somebody asked me if I was ever going to get a uh, like walking sticks for when I actually go hunting. And I was like, why? I don't, I don't need walking sticks. And they said, well, you know, it really helps when you're climbing the hills and you can, you know, get a better stride and you can move better. And I was like, OK, well, that makes sense. But then I started thinking if if I were to just start with hunting sticks or with uh, walking sticks or just start having your rifle rested versus being able to hold it. If I, if you were to begin with the efficiency already built in, then you have no concept of why the efficiency is there. Wow. And I was thinking to your point, Sean, also was that you said, um, 
you know, actually bagging the rabbit was almost a letdown because the hunt was over. And I think that's a, it's a really great point to, uh, to, to really uh, focus on is the fact that it's not the goal that is the exciting part. Like there's an elation to it. Like, yay, I got the rabbit, but now your hunt's over. And now you have to engage in a new process, which is, uh, skinning and cleaning and all these other things that you have to integrate whatever it is you just hunted into your life now. And I think that, uh, I, I kind of want to go into into that realm of the conversation and the fact that I guess how do we get through to people to understand that the efficiencies that I have through my experience are not something that you can just transfer into your life without the experience, if that makes sense. Yeah. I do have some thoughts if you don't mind. Yeah, jump on it. So there's a there's a few things there. I'll just stick to the most recent uh, uh, commentary from you, Chance, because there's too many things to build out from uh, CJ and Travis, and and uh, we wouldn't get to this point uh, as you just mentioned. I mean, I, we could spend all day talking about this for sure. There's just too much goodness. So um, I, I just want to clear something up. I've I've hunt I hunted a lot before I left high school. I I hunted most I I, I hunted more than most professional hunters may ever hunt in their life. I just hunted near every day for years. And so uh, to me, you'd mentioned the word elation when uh, when you'd bag a rabbit or something like that. I, I never felt that elation just because I'd done it so many times. Mm. To me, the rabbit wasn't an, an elation moment. It was just another moment within a process of, I'd be tracking the next uh, footprints. So I would get, I'd bag my rabbit, literally bag it for my buddy's uh, cats, who I would feed uh, every day. And I'd be straight on to the next foot, footprints in front of me in the snow, in the mud, in the whatever. And so to me, the hunt was the pursuit. And the pursuit never ended until it was last light. And I'd have to look at the, look at the sky watch the stars starting to come out and start heading back in the right direction towards my hometown. And so the, for me, the pursuit, once it starts, it never ends until I'm back home. And so what is home? Well, you know, uh, to CJ's point, home is comfort. Mm -hmm. And so if, if you're, if you head out of your house and, and you uh, only assign, I'm only going to get one rabbit, that's my elation moment. And then I can head back to my comfort. That just was never how I thought when I'd leave my home in the morning or if I was skipping school, uh, I'd grab an apple and uh, head out into winter and, and about mid hunt, whatever that meant to me at that time, I would start a fire, bake my apple, eat it, and then continue on with my hunt until it was near night. And then I'd, I'd head back. And so that lifelong pursuit or uh, more correctly, the metaphorical lifelong pursuit within that one hunting day is can be translated out into your whole life what do you define as the hunt and is it is it just one rabbit or is it all the rabbits or is it the right amount of rabbits or is it i don't have any more time for rabbits there's lots that we can tease out of that uh, i'll turn it over to you guys now absolutely travis or cj Trav, you got thoughts yeah i mean talking about the pursuit it's a bit cliche, but you know, the journey is the process. It's not the end destination. You talk to any hunter and you ask them what the perfect hunt is and it's not bagging their animal on day one, hour one. 
In fact, there's a disappointment that goes with that because the animal isn't the reason why a lot of people hunt. Sure, it's great to have meat. And if you're, if you're out there strictly looking for sustenance hunting, maybe that's, maybe that's going to be the perfect hunt for you. But for most people, the perfect hunt is going to be, uh, if you're out for a week or two weeks at the very end, you get your animal, you spent the entire time pursuing, you've had successes, you've had failures, you've pushed yourself, you've challenged. And the, you know, Jim Carrey famously said, I wish everybody could have millions of dollars. So they'd realize that money doesn't bring you that happiness. Mm -hmm. Um, Rockefeller was, you know, he's hunting for something and a reporter once asked him, he's famously quoted, uh, how much is enough? Like you've got so much money, how much is enough? He's like, just $1 more. He didn't care about the money. He cared about the pursuit of the money. He cared about the pursuit of the process that would essentially bring fulfillment to his life, I would think, because if the money was the end object there, I mean, he could give up. He's, he's got it. He's, he's where he needs to be. But it, that's not what brings a person happiness. And I think in today's day and age, so many people are looking for that magic pill, that magic thing that's going to make them happy without realizing that that's presupposing that you're already unhappy, that you're already in a bad place. And the process of working towards something that's desirable is what will bring that fulfillment, that joy, that happiness. Like that yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And, um, the, I love the word fulfillment. In fact, it's my favorite word. It's a better word than happiness. Um, because it's, it's a deep and lasting happiness. Happiness is very temporary, very fleeting. I got a new car. I'm happy. I wrecked the car. I'm unhappy. Um, whereas fulfillment, it's got the word full and the word fill in it. So that means you are replete. You are full. You need nothing else. And that can never come by something outside of you. It can't, it can only come by a life that's maximized. But it can't just be what you do. It's got to be also who you are, right? Maximize all that you are, all that you can do. In other words, give it all for a purpose greater than yourself. And that will lead to a fulfillment. And what Sean said, it reminded me of, uh, I forget who the author is or the the, the writer, a, a famous, I, I believe it's a scholar, um, but he wrote so many books but his process was he would write these books, devote himself fully to it. And as soon as he was done with said book, he immediately started on the next one. There wasn't even a breath in between. And so going back to again to Sean's comment about the elation, you know, you're working towards this elation. He's not working towards an elation. And you asked, you know, like like Travis was highlighting the 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 question about how much is enough. <laughs> well, apparently there's still more out there. It's just the need for that. It's that drive of fulfillment. I have to maximize myself, and the more I can separate my mind from the arduous process of pursuit, then the further I can go. It's not such so much that hard work is hard. Hard work is only hard because we dread it, because we make it that thing in our mind. Our bodies are physically able to do the work. You know, somebody can tell me that they can't go, you know, 15 minutes on a treadmill, but they've only ever gone five minutes. Well, if I stand in front of said treadmill with a gun to your five-year-old's head, I bet I can get you go 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. I bet I can get you go 30 minutes. You'll find it. You'll find it. So it's not that you can't, you're just not willing. 
you're too attached to the hard work that it's difficult instead of saying, no, it's just a series of physical movements. Why am I making this more than it is? And so it's separating in our, ourselves. And I think like with, with Sean as, as a young guy out there chasing rabbits, <laughs> pursuing rabbits, he was separating himself. He was separating himself from discomfort. He was separating himself from the way everybody views difficulty, the way everybody views hard work, the way everybody views this invisible membrane of the effort it takes to achieve what it is that you want in life. And that's an amazing, powerful thing to remove. We all have this capacity to do so much more. And so how much more, you know, we were, I was just quoting some famous people, Gene Simmons of KISS. A reporter once asked him, he said, you know, Gene, you, you've made so much money. You've toured the world, biggest band in the world, all of this. Is there anything left for you to do? And he said, your sister. <laughs> so, That's pretty legit. <laughs> there's always something else to move towards. There's always something else to pursue. Take it from Gene. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> I do have a couple of things there. I, I just want to. I just want to ask Chance to see if he's ever heard the reference to me holding a gun to someone's head and pick up the pace before. Have you ever heard me say that? Twice. Yeah, maybe a couple that's right, times. That's yeah. right. So, oh, really? Awesome. I, I, I've been using that uh, that same uh, frame of reference to help someone understand the uh, rotary dial of 1 or 11 on the scale of 10. And uh, that that example of a gun to someone's head always helps someone understand what 11 looks like and uh, and it's a it's a reference that you can't just toss out glibly to everyone who's sauntering down the sidewalk that you don't know it's a ref or for me i like me when i'm staring someone in the eye it's it's a little bit intense and then i drop the idea that now i've got a gun to your wife's head how does that feel so I think that there's certain audiences one-on-one -on -one where you have to maybe say that and maybe not. So, But I've said it a fair bit. Now, I did want to uh, talk a, a little bit about uh, the hunt and uh, the pursuit of uh, life, as uh, CJ just indicated. As a young man, uh, this is really important for anyone who's listening out there. We're not talking about hunting rabbits right now. We're not talking about hunting anything per se until you sit down and feel your feels and understand who you are. For me, as a young man, I knew I knew what felt right to me. No one ever had to explain it to me. I didn't have any strong men in my life to guide me or shape me or mentor me or just or or explain to me what masculinity is. Man, I couldn't even spell masculinity when I was a young kid. Uh, I just was doing what felt right to me, to my soul, to Sean, young Sean. And as I was out there in the bush doing my uh, Daniel Boone moments every day, that's what felt right to me. And, and because it felt right, I just kept doing it. Hours each day, every day, feeling what felt right. And, and as I did it more and more, it built itself into, well, now we understand me. I understand where I belong. I understand what I'm good at. I understand what feels right. And so whether it's hunting rabbits or counting beans or flying a kite, it doesn't much matter what we're talking about right now, other than don't freaking step into anything until you sit down and feel your feels of who am I, what feels right to me, what makes me happy. 
So now I'm just going to throw this other little twist into things because I agree with you, CJ, fulfill. We should be looking for things that fulfill ourselves. Mm -hmm. So what, as you are explaining that, this is what popped into my mind's eye. I've just finished my hunt. I've got my feet up. I've got a crackling fire. I've got a dog by my side. I'm feeling the fulfillment of the moment, the the exploration, uh, the adventurous uh, actions, the adversity. Maybe I got a rabbit. Maybe I didn't. doesn't much matter. But I feel like I went through my process. And at the end of my day, at the in front of the fire, I have the almost closure of the moment of, ah, that was a satisfying day. Mm -hmm. That's fulfilling. However, do you know what's even more fulfilling? Is when I look at the guy to my side and say, that was a good day, bro. Mm -hmm. Now I'm really fulfilled. Because I shared a fulfilling moment with another guy who's on my left and right, who's equally as fulfilled, partially because we shared the adverse moment, partially because we all fell in the creek and got wet, but mostly because at the end of the day, as a small team with a crackling fire, we're feeling the warmth of not just the fire of the moment, but the warmth of the people who on, are on our left and right. That's a great point. <clears throat> Trevor, CJ, got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, it's this again reminds me of um, uh, the observations that I've had the pleasure, and I'm sure you guys have as well, when you get connected with people who are like that. And it's great to be able to see you, you obviously share some of that quality yourself. So you recognize it in somebody else. But it's so wonderful to see it lived out. To see, for example, we have we all share pretty much a life philosophy, even though we're from different areas of the world and different everything. But there's something, again, at at the core that is shared. And what Sean just mentioned, I think, is is becoming more and more important to me um, for different reasons, because I'm not a hunter, not because I'm against it, just because I've never done it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've done it. I've gone along with people, but I mean, but I've, you know, not, not anything what you guys are talking about. Um, but the, the older I get, the more I realize how important it is to have that covenant brother, you know, covenant type of brother, that it's good for that. I know the word tribe and things gets thrown around a lot. And I'm not talking about something too awfully large. I'm talking about something very, very small. Um, and over the past few years, for me, that's been Pat McNamara. Um, and it's just a very strange thing because you talk about two guys coming from two different worlds. <laughs> we're, we're from the same area of the country. We're a year apart in age, but we're both lovers of heavy metal. We both have a similar approach. Looks like you guys. We have a similar approach to life. We are not foreign to each other. Like Sean noted, man, we could be probably talk all day long about this very hundred percent. And so for me to to it's so great to be because I've said for years, just as an entrepreneur and you guys probably know what this is like. As a, as a small business owner, you know, um, trying to do these things, especially through social media and all that sort of stuff, the work that's required. Um, you want to be able to look across the table and know that someone else has skin in the game. You know, you want somebody who's who's I was, I've always said for years, I just want somebody who's as committed as I am. I'm tired of bringing team members along or bringing a client along or, you know, forcing somebody to do something. Why don't you, uh, you know, live and sleep and eat this stuff? Why is it? And it's their vision we're talking about. But still, there's not that quality there. And then I met Pat McNamara and. Our business meetings are like two or three minutes at a time. 
A, because he's got like ADD. <laughs> That's all you're going to get done with him. But but also because um, th- you're in sync. We're very much in sync. And he's a creative personality, but he's so committed to what he's doing. So committed that there's a flow that gets created. And it's so easy you know, to steer something like that, because I can't steer a car that's parked. And that's how so many people are in my life and clients that they're parked. How do you move something like that? And so to be with somebody who's like that, now it brings in a different life dynamic because up to this point, it's been masturbatory. <laughs> it's been just me, man. You know what I mean? Just trying to do my thing, do my pursuits, because I was the only one who could bring that level of gratification. Now, because of the projects that he and I work on, again, much like Sean just noted, you can and literally in front of a crackling fire, because that's what we do when we go to his house. He's got the fire pit in the back and we that's where we sit. We sit out there. We listen to music. We drink bourbon and wine and we talk shit. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to do that. <laughs> um, always break the rules. Um, but <laughs> so let's jump into politics and really, <laughs> um, but, but he's, um, he's, he's teaching me, you know, a lot of that because he, by just being that and he's a great guy to sit next to. And I'll finish with this thought, just that I often mention to people, if you want to find, if you're having a struggle, finding your place in life, sometimes you need to get your eyes off yourself. And just figure out who's supposed to be on your left and who's supposed to be on your right. Just get that worked out first. It's tough to do this as an island. I like that a lot. Uh, Trav, you got any thoughts? Yeah, just I, I think that's a really, really important mindset for people to be in. I think if you're going to be an entrepreneur, if you're going to be striving for excellence, you're going to be always hunting for fulfillment, you're going to quickly realize that that is that can be a process of self-isolation because the people that you surrounded yourself with in the past might not be on the same trajectory or path as you are doesn't mean those people aren't out there but it means you're now striving in a way that you're pushing past what what you typically were in the past and it can be like crabs in a bucket the people that are around you might want to try and claw you back or keep Mm -hmm. you down because there, there can be a resentment in others for saying, well, geez, we yeah. graduated at the same time. We went to the same school. We did the same things. Why are you doing that and I'm doing this? And I think people who wish to hunt in this sort of way need to square themselves with the fact that there can be an isolating process, mm-hmm. but they also have to realize that there are other savages out there that they can surround mm-hmm. themselves with and find those people and then yeah. surround themselves with. Hunt for them. Hunt for them. Yes. Uh, there's a there's a great thought in there, and it kind of goes back to um, what your dad taught you, Trav. Right, right at the beginning, you said, you know, you were driving through Vancouver, and people were telling, uh, your dad was saying, you know, who's the hawks, who's the pigeons, mm. and then who do you want to be with, or who do you want to be like? Mm. And so there's something about predators that recognize other predators, mm. right? And to be able to hunt in a pack for lack of a better term like being in a wolf pack or you know all these other analogies that you come up with but the the concept of having another person on the trail with you is outstanding because i was just thinking about all the people that i've tried to bring into jujitsu 
or tried to bring hunting with me or be like, Hey man, you know, you, you said you wanted to hunt forever. Why don't we go out? I got a trip planned. Well, I already know where we're going. I got a rifle you could use. Like there's all of these options for like, Hey, yeah, let's go to your point, CJ. It does get tiresome of always going like, come on guys, like, come on, let's go. Um, but there's, there's a, there's a fulfilling moment in there when you introduce something yeah. to somebody and they just go, yes. <laughs> like, all right, we are in. Mm-hmm. Let's freaking go. I, I really, I do love those points. Um, Sean, any thoughts so far? You're... I do. There, There is a, uh, a flip side to this coin. We're talking about finding, finding your covenant, finding your tribe, find your gang, find your wolf pack. We're talking about finding maybe like-minded people or finding that uh, guy or girl to your left and right with a crackling fire and being really fulfilled as, as, a, as a unit or being fulfilled as a like-minded gathering of awesome people. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are great moments. But I, that's not how it started for me, man. And so the reason I raise that point is because I want everyone to understand out there who's who's listening to this right now. If you if you kind of came up in a crappy system or you kind of your your early life wasn't bueno, well, mine wasn't bueno. And so uh, when when I found my path forward, I I didn't even know it was my path. It took me a while to figure out who I am. But what I did do is I engaged in what felt right. And so I, I'm pretty, mm, I, I'm a pretty regular stater of, uh, stater. I'm a pretty regular uh, uh, commentary on figure out your why, then figure out your how, and then figure out your velocity and start applying it. And so um, it, it's great if everyone can sit down and in and, and half an hour scribble out why they exist on this planet, but it often doesn't work like that. So what I'm saying is, when I was a young man, no one gave me any good advice, really. I just had to figure things out myself, kind of. And as I was going through that process, I only needed to focus on one thing. How does, how does this feel to me right now? How do I feel as I'm doing this? And, and if my feeling felt right, then I just kept on pursuing what felt right. And if it felt wrong, then I bypassed it and focused on just right. And so hunting, metaphorically... Uh, whatever you're hunting in life, maybe you don't even know that there's a hunt out there yet because you haven't sat down and felt your feels on what, who am I and what feels right to me? What is authentically Sean right now? What do I need to engage in that makes me feel fulfilled to some degree? And hopefully if you can figure that out and you start feeling some fulfillment, now you can consider wrapping that form of fulfillment around others to really build that strong team in front of that crackling fire so that's my first thought on on that subject my second thought is this when you're hunting it isn't always a ferocious pace of pursuing something you're not always ferociously pursuing that rabbit sometimes you just squat down in the snow and disappear and get real quiet and real still and feel the environment around you That's really important that you take time to sense the world around you, uh, which is what any good sniper will do. Uh, Army sniper, special operations sniper, you're not ferociously pursuing anything with rapid momentum. What you're doing is you're ferociously pursuing the environment around you. You are absorbing all of the bandwidth. 
and getting all of the feels on the 360 around you. You're using your Jedi force. You're, you're feeling the force uh, if you want. And so even in stillness, you can ferociously hunt the environment around you. And I think that's an important contrast between running through the snow chasing a rabbit versus squatting in the snow and feeling for the rabbit. They're both hunting moments. It is still a pursuit of the environment around you. You're still moving towards the natural outcome of bagging a rabbit or not. How many rabbits you get is almost unimportant. It's how you get the rabbits through that that three-dimensional model of understanding there's a time to pursue and there's a time to sit still, but they're both still hunting. That is a great point. <clears throat> Trav, you got any thoughts? Yeah, it just brings to mind just a simple shooting term, which is tracking or trapping, right? So if you're tracking a target, you got your reticle on the target, you're moving along as the target moves along, or... <laughs> You sit still and you wait and you anticipate where that target's going to be and you trap when it comes into your line of sight. Uh, both will achieve the same objective of impacting on that target two very different ways of doing the same hunt. The reason I hunt is because of the presence and connectivity that I have with my natural environment. Like Sean says, I, I, I don't do the aggressive chase after an animal. I, I'll look for a animal rich environment in a place where I think something will be coming along and I'll set up and I'll wait. And during that time I'm, I'm listening and I'm smelling and I'm watching and I'm feeling, you're feeling the wind and the direction that things are going. And that's a, a very important part to the, the actual hunting process. Uh, but you know, when you look to your left and right, as we're talking about the people that you have with you, I just had the, um, a couple of a couple of thoughts. Lucas Hoagie, he's got a TV show and he's been on the podcast in the past and uh, he talked about having to pull the weeds. He says, you know, after a while you just have to start realizing who the weeds are in your life and who the uh, the worthwhile plants are, right? And you, mm -hmm. at some point you just got to start pulling the weeds, right? And you realize that when you get to know yourself, as Sean is saying, you know that story about the frog and the scorpion? Mm -hmm. Okay, for scorpion on one side of the water, and then what you doing over there, frog says. Scorpion says, well, I'd like to get to the other side. Well, why don't I give you a lift? I'll have you on my back. We'll take you over. And as the frog's swimming over, the scorpion stings them, and they both drown. Well, scorpion's going to be a scorpion. Frog's going to be a frog. We just have to realize who we are, and from that, we have to also start realizing who we want to be surrounding ourselves with. Don't try and introduce people to whatever it is that your life trajectory is on and expect them to tag along and follow along if, if they're the scorpion or they're the frog and you're the other. Absolutely. CJ, you got some thoughts? Yeah, that's the, uh, we're swimming in metaphors <laughs> today. Um, and they're wonderful. God, they're wonderful. Um, the going back to, the original point that Sean had made, you know, just I often tell, especially younger people, um, that just because you don't feel like you know what your purpose is in life doesn't mean your life is without purpose. Because so long as there's a capacity in you to, through the use of your own gifts, talents, and abilities, and who you are, to uplift, edify, you know, the life of another human being, that's all the evidence you need to know that your life is not to be lived exclusively for itself that we're all here to affect change at some level you know and now i, I got a feeling there's a bit we're a bit more radical about that 
<laughs> on this particular discussion. So in other words, if you're in my airspace, you're fair game, man. I'm not the one who's changing. You are, <laughs> right? If they say you can't change a crowd, a crowd changes you. Baloney. <laughs> you can change a crowd if you can. But that's the thing is, is you don't want it to be coercive or something manipulative or anything like that. You want it to be inspirational, which again, another word that I love, inspire someone. You know, when we were kids, you'd go see the, I grew up with brothers and you go see the big action movie. And as soon as you came home, man, we ran out the door and we were acting out what that was. And it was a fight over who got to be the bad guy and who had to be the, I mean, who had to be the good guy, who got to be the hero, you know, the, who had to be the bad guy. But we became something else because we experienced something greater than ourselves. And it turned us into something else for a couple of hours. Much like, remember Super Mario, when he would eat the mushroom, he'd get bigger. And then he'd start plowing through things. It's what inspiration does because it's like inspire means to breathe in to something. Like you inspire means like you're blowing up a balloon. Like expire, right? We, we are giving up the breath. But this inspire to, to breathe into something to make it more than it is. Our lives have that capacity. And so we're, we're like living letters, right? We're like living letters from the universe to each and every person around us. We're almost like, you know, Morpheus kind of moving around in the sewer system, trying to pluck people from, unplug them from the matrix. And it takes a while. And even though you don't want to necessarily make that your life's pursuit, you know, that's going to be part of the process along the way, because we have a responsibility, I think. If there's an awakening in, in us to these values, to these things, and these are deep things, man, <laughs> these are deep. I mean, this is, this is even beyond morality because it's not just about what is good or what is bad. It is, it is, it is about, it is a must be, right? It is a, such a must be. It is, again, it's the, I hunt, therefore I am, Metallica said, playing off of, you know, the, the uh, Kujido ergo sum of Descartes. I think, therefore I am that there is this compulsion to be this um, representative, this ambassador of greatness to the world of what a life should look like. And with humility, mind you, only because it's we're committed to who we are. We're committed to what's inside us. Again, going back to what Sean had noted earlier, it's just, you know, he was just going by what felt right. And sometimes the indicators, the, sometimes the meters that we have early on in life are pretty cheap, right? <laughs> They're dollar store little meters to find out what our ohms are, what our, what our readings are. But they're good. They're good enough to get us in a general cone of direction. And I'll tell people sometimes because everybody wants to be able to, we were joking offline about the five-year plans, you know, the, the, everybody wants to have that specific thing. You know, describe your goal in great detail. Dude, you don't know what the next 10 years might bring that might take you off a trajectory in a good way. Just head in the general cone of direction because by committing to the process, you grow, you see more, right? Things multiply, options multiply. Next thing you know, what you originally set out to do is not what you end up doing. You end up shifting it and it becomes something else and becomes a refinement or an adjustment to that. But it's just trusting that process, trusting that life affords us this. And it's so much greater than the next Netflix series. It's so much greater than the next gadget or whatever it is that people want to occupy what they consider to be life. 
what they consider to be life, to be stuck in 45 degree syndrome. That's a good one. That's life. That's life to them, right? Yeah. They say, oh, yeah, well, I've seen Montana on a screen. <laughs> you know, somebody, I think, I don't know, was Sean or something, or some, one of you were talking about how you, you bringing somebody along, one of the benefits is that you, you, you can almost, you know, see them change just introducing them into something. And so, as you guys probably know, Pat Mack does these uh, yearly trips to Montana mm -hmm. to the Bob Marshall wilderness. And so we've been threatening to take me for a few years now. We'd rather do it just by ourselves, but everybody, the more people hear about it, the more people want to go with them. So there's always a crowd. I can't stand the crowd. <laughs> it's because we want to do some filming and that sort of thing. So it just helps. But one of the things that Mac always says is, is that I love taking new people because I get to live vicariously through them to bring them out there for them to see these mountainscapes for the first time, to see the golden Eagle for the first time, you know, to see these massive animals and these rivers and streams for the first time and to just be there and see somebody overwhelmed by beauty and to know that there's a revolution happening inside them. That's it's never going to go back. You know what I mean? It's never going to go back. That's a powerful, powerful thing. It, it really is. We were uh, actually, we kind of mentioned this yesterday. We were talking about psychedelics. We we're talking about, you know, how to get people into understanding or getting over the stigma or whatever. And uh, it brought up a thought in my mind. And it's actually a quote that I really like. And it's uh, waste no more time arguing what a good man is. Hmm. Be one. Yeah. And I think that it goes into the similar concept of what we're talking about in terms of the hunt or in terms of being uh, <clears throat> an inspirer or anything of these the concepts is that if you want to do something, do it. <laughs> I think at the very, at the very, very beginning and then, you know, figure out, figure it out from there, but you got to start somewhere. Yeah. But that isn't working. No. <clears throat> Uh, line up a hundred guys on a wall and uh, sit, uh, and ask them if they want to do something. Maybe a hundred of them will uh, all nod their heads, but only one will do something. So, so lots of people think lots of things that they want to be, but they don't step across that start line. And so to go back to the reference to the matrix, I've been referencing the matrix for a long time. I kind of think that way to some degree. Uh, and, and that would be a whole deeper rabbit hole that we would uh, require several hours to go down. But if we're going to use Matrix as the example, then some of my friends unplugged me from the Matrix and turned me into Neo. Mm -hmm. And so whoever Morpheus was, call it Seb, call it my friends, call it whatever. Um, well, I've been unplugged and, and now I'm starting to use uh, my Neo force to start creating change. And uh, I think all of us can be a Neo to some degree. I'm not talking about now you run the entire program and you're flexing so hard that the universe is shifting, but it kind of is if you flex hard enough, uh, but you don't have to flex real hard. You only have to flex a tiny bit to create a ripple, like a pebble in a pond, as someone once told me I'm supposed to do. So I think that the idea is that you've got to understand, you've got to unplug yourself from the 45 degree bone if you can. But not everyone can. So then what is the alternative? Everyone who's saying, I'm going to do that, that isn't doing that. Well, now it's the job of people who've been unplugged. Like all the Neos out there. We'll call Pat Mack a Neo, for lack of a better term. He's now flexing and creating change within the Matrix. 
And how is he doing that? Well, he's he's probably doing it kind of like how I'm trying to do it by demonstrating uh, a, a neo lifestyle, creating change, doing things that are enjoyable and worthwhile and inspiring. The videos that I put up, the things that I do, I, tr- I, I try to live my authentic life while at the same time hoping to inspire others, not influence them, but inspire them into stepping into their own neo space. We've all got neo inside of us, but until you sit down and feel your feels and understand why you exist, and then step into that existence and start flexing a little bit so that others can see some inspiration through that transition. <clears throat> I think that that's a <clears throat> excuse me. I think that that's a really important idea on how we can get others to engage in the process of becoming their own neo. Travi, got any thoughts? Yeah, you know, CJ's saying the five-year plan, you know, perfect plans, nothing if you don't just get out there and do it. And as an entrepreneur, I can tell you that business plans are fantastic. They're great if you want to go to a bank and get a loan and they look awesome on paper, but I've never put a business plan together (laughs) that looked the same as the business the day it got running. The day it gets running, you're recalculating and you're changing and there's maybe a general guiding light that gets you out there. Yes, CJ's right. Take that step, get it rolling put it into action. But for a lot of people, like Sean's saying, maybe one out of a hundred will actually do it because they've never walked that path before. And it's mm-hmm. scary to them and it's dark and they don't know how to, where their next step goes. So I would say the biggest life hack that somebody can utilize if they want to walk that path, find someone who's walked it already. Team up with other people who are better than them. It might not make you feel that great at the time. You're not surrounding yourself with a bunch of minnows and feeling like you're King Poop on Turd Island here. Mm-hmm. But in the long run, you're going to progress a hell of a lot faster and a hell of a lot further than you would have been able to on your own. So that that might be a useful hack that people can uh, implement. 100%. It's one of the reasons why we got the collective started, so people can find us and we can, uh, well, not just us, I mean, but like find each other. Mm-hmm and engage each other so now we're just about at time so let's do some final thoughts actually you know what i'm gonna i got a couple of comments here i'm gonna hit those first and then we'll do some final thoughts real quick so uh winter storm 427 comes up right at the beginning said the hunt is seeking and i I could not agree more uh rock and rise said strike and ignite i like it that's you know it's a really good one too uh now we got a question from doc c um but it's a big question. So I'm going to put it up, but we're going to use it another day. Okay, Doc, don't worry, because it's a big question. He says, who influenced Sean's morality? I'm always curious with people who have had tough upbringings. And that is a great question, which we will get into another show, because that's a big one. Um, <clears throat> he said, Doc C, good to have you here. Great metaphor about the Matrix, so true. Um, and he says, uh, Doc C continues, I've always found musicians and actors have a very good insight into human emotion and experience. And I totally agree. We had uh, Jeff Bosley on here a while ago. He said something very similar. It was just the ability to actually connect with those emotions and experiences through his own experiences rather than trying to pretend. It's a very powerful thing. And then uh, Chris, and another, another kind of big question, but I think we've answered it, is how do you all determine who really wants to change versus versus want to vent. I use body phys- physiology to see how a person reacts to their own idea. Second would be their past behaviors. Most just want to talk. And there's a lot of people want to talk. It's easy to talk. 
But uh, I personally, the people that want to change are the people that are asking questions in my mind. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? Real quick. CJ? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I would agree wholeheartedly, man. Yeah. Trav? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I just, it's just closing thought because I had a thought on the whole strike and ignite thing. <laughs> yeah. We will. Okay. Well, you know what? Let's, uh, <clears throat> let's dive into that. Chris will uh, engage that question in a minute. So let's do some final thoughts overall, what we talked about the hunt, everything we've gone on. Trav, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I think I said most what can be constrained within this time period here, but just one little thing came to mind when CJ first said strike and ignite. And I'm thinking of flint and steel. Have you guys ever used flint and steel in the past? Yep. Tried making a fire? Do you know how it works? Because most yep. people don't. Okay. Most people think the flint will make sparks, we'll get the fire going, and here we go. Now, that might be true. Isn't it just the friction? Uh, not even. So in a um, ferrocerium rod, which is in flint, that will spark and ignite. With actual flint and steel, steel oh, I see. Yes, yes. the steel is pyrophoric. It's got the fire within it. It'll oxidize, mm. it cools, but when you expose the steel to oxygen, take that tiny little step, that tiny little bit, it's actually the steel that sparks up and it's not the flint. The flint's hard enough to scrape a little bit of that steel off. So just an interesting thought with what CJ's saying, strike and ignite. That's mm. first tiny little step that can ignite the massive bonfire that goes. It's always been there in there, inside that steel. It just needed that little something to get it out. I love that. Very cool. <clears throat> CJ, any final thoughts? Yeah, just to to finish up, I guess, with uh, extending the matrix analogy, what made Neo ultimately Neo, finally, was when he understood the world he was living in. And that was what Morpheus always told him. And so, because Neo was challenged with the challenge that Morpheus was giving to him about being the one. And he said, what are you saying? I'm going to be able to dodge bullets. He said, no, when you finally become who you need to be, you won't have to. And so when he was able to actually stop bullets was when he finally saw the world or the matrix for what it was. It was just moving digits. That's all it was. So it could be manipulated. History itself could be manipulated. Steve Jobs, when he had... Uh, was fired from Apple by 1993. He had started the next computer company and somebody had asked him about something similar. And he said, you know, when you grow up, you're told to just have a nice life, get a job, go to college, retire, get the pick white picket fence, try not to bounce into the walls too much. He said, and that's a good life. It's a good life to have. There's nothing wrong with having that life until you realize one thing. And he said that everything around you that you call life was made by people that aren't all that much smarter than you. That you can make things that become what others call life. And he says, when you realize that you can push something in the world and something pops out on the other side, that you can mold it, that you can shape it, he said, you'll never be the same again. Because again, you'll be, you'll be brought out of this mediocrity. You'll be brought out of this matrix way of thinking to realize I can mold and I can shape it. Because what's happening in my head matches what's happening in the world. It's the only way we can predict where the cannonball is going to land, right? There's something harmonious. Philosophers can struggle with it for the rest of their lives for all I care. We know that what we think here can be represented in this world. And so we work to make that thing manifest, not by magic, but by arduous effort, we're carving out of nothing because at one time there was nothing, nothing but trees and rocks and birds and grass, and that's it. But you could have flown a plane back in Pharaoh's day. The laws of thrust and lift were always there. 
The possibility of chocolate chip cookies and Shakespeare and laptops and all of these things was always there. Stories meant to be told. And so that to me is what technology is. Techni means artisan, craftsman, art. And so you call a new technology state of the art. Mm -hmm. It's the ability to create visible things with invisible means. And when you discover that, that there's billions of dollars around you, that there's more ideas, more inventions, more ex more things to discover. If we keep banging on the walls of this universe until it spits out answers by turning ourselves inside and out with our gifts, talents, abilities, and interests in order to extract these invisible things to make visible things, we are the true techniques, the true craftsmen, the true uh, technologists. And I think that's what we need. 100%. Sean, final thoughts? Hard to follow that, right? <laughs> well, the direction that I want to take it now is so big that I'm trying to shut that grid down. So I'll, I'll try to uh, crystallize it in less than 60 seconds. Current neurobiology or neuroscience would indicate this, that as we all sit here or we all stand here, our brains are in an isolated box. We'll call it a black box. Our brains are not connected to this universe around us. Our brains only interpret the universe around us. And so what interprets our universe? It's our physical being. It's our physical sense. I can feel the wind on my cheek. I can see the light coming from over there. I can feel the vibrations of the floor through my feet. Our bodies experience the world around us. Our brains interpret those sensory images, those sensory fields. So we have a brain and we have a body interact with each other to determine what this reality is all around us. The reality, the nuance of it is then predicted by our previous experiences. So if you've never left your basement, your predictive ability to determine your future and to apply the correct path into the future is crippled by your inability to uh, contextualize your past experiences. If you've lived a really rich life, a really deep life, a really broad life, a three-dimensional model of life, the bigger your three-dimensional model is, the greater your capacity to predictively analyze the correct path for you as a human and for the other humans around you. And through that understanding, that's how we shape our universe. The universe doesn't exist if you never step out of your basement. Your basement is your universe. But the moment that you step out of your basement, there's a much broader world around you with other human beings, with brains in little black boxes who are trying to interpret the world around them through their sensory being and then interact as a human species. I think what we have to do a little better as mankind is understand that as we interpret this world with our bodies, the more we can get out there and adventure with our bodies, the more our brains can understand how to play better with other brains out there in the universe. Right on. Bam. Bam. <clears throat> now, <laughs> see, there's so many mic drops, I don't even know where to go with that. But <laughs> the, uh, the, the one thing that I just wanted to kind of get across was, I had a friend of mine who is a sculptor and I asked him one day, you know, like, where do you, where do you come up with the idea for the thing that you're sculpting? And he said, I don't, it's already in there. I'm just carving it off. Mm -hmm. And, uh, there was a, a quote, I can't remember from who said it, but it was, um, we are, uh, change hurts because we are both the sculptor and the marble. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is something that we all need to <laughs> uh, like see in the fact that, 
change does not come without cost. And if you really have a, if you understand that the, uh, the image is already there to your point, Trav, to your point, CJ was the fact that if we understand that the, uh, the thing that we want is already there and we just have to chip off the rest mm -hmm. to find out who we are, then we can find out who we are. And I think that's the, the key point is learning that we are the sculpture, which means that we can build upon our understanding of sculpting and we can grow into the person that we're supposed to be. And you can do that right here on The Collective with us every day. We'll see you all tomorrow. Chimo. Chimo. Take care.